Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's Frozen Slipping Flapjack Solution. Your flapjack's a little frigid. The little tights want some sustenance, but you can't grip the griddle. With Minerva's Frozen Slipping Flapjack Solution, our self-lifting flapjacks cook up perfectly on their own with crispy outside and fluffy golden goodness. With Minerva's Frozen Slipping Flapjack Solution, you just sizzle up that stove, place those pre-shaped pancakes on the pan, and presto! Minerva's Frozen Slipping Flapjack Solution cook through on one side and flip themselves over! That's right, to cook to perfection for the breaking of every morning fast. More time for chores or choking down more coffee before you attack the misery of the day. Minerva's Frozen Slipping Flapjack Solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Oh, look at this nightmare. You'd think they'd have enough class to at least use a coaster. Up, up, you degenerates. That's it, party's over. On your way. It was all a dream, and now you get to live the reality of your pathetic selves. Oh, skip the mirror on the way out. You don't want to see that mess. Pendleton, make sure this is all cleaned up for this evening. Oh, and bring some lunch to the cellar. I snared a new redhead in the kennel. Hello? Hello? Where am I? Why am I chained in this cage? Hello! How is the vixen? Is the little fox away? What is this? Why do you have me here? Did you like the sleepy closet? Just one of the many trap rooms of the rebels. You king at me. You didn't get to enjoy the party much, but you'll enjoy your time here. You won't get away with this, Baron. People will search for me. Naughty me, I know. I saw your fiery red hair and that sparkle in your eyes, and I just couldn't help myself. You're Edmund's companion, are you not? No. It doesn't matter what you want to call yourself. I'm afraid you're my guest, as long as I see fit. I'm a bit of a collector. I can see that. I recognize her. That's the Countess Isabella. I know her from the paper. Very good. Although she won't be for long. She'll be plant food soon enough. What do you want from me? And ruin all the fun? Not yet, my little fox. I'm off. 
don't struggle too hard. Wouldn't want you to mark those lovely wrists of yours. Wait, no. Come back. Okay, Charity. I can get out of here. Might still have a hairpin in the old do. Let's just try and... Freedom. Good. Still need to work on this cage door. Kaukes. Kaukes? Are you sleeping? Ah, she's a bit cold. Sorry, Countess. I'll make sure the Lantern knows when I get out of here. The Spirits Baron has secrets in his basement. Someone's coming. Sorry, Countess, but I needed a place to hide. If you can just scooch a little... Willie, why do I have to go first? It's creepy down in there. Willie? Uh, Willie? There's two of them. Oh no, William. There's just the one, per the instructions. Nope. There's two of them ladies here. Well, that don't make no sense there, William. As Mr. Kovacs told us, we're here to have pick up the sweet lady that she died choking on her sandwich and donated her body to that there scientific community. So they... two sandwiches? Or you think they choked on the one and each one had half? Like they were each ate from a side racing to the middle? And it was like a malevolent sandwich. Something angry like a liver or currywurst. No, William. I think it was a Nunya sandwich. Nunya? Yes, Nunya concern. Let's get to the business of body carton. Them plants ain't gonna feed themselves. Should we just take them both? Suppose we will. Here. Hoist her on the sheet cart there, and then cover her with a canvas. Back down real tight good. We ain't gone far, and no one will pay us no mind. there is, William. Don't breathe too deep now. She's a bit poisonous. Right now here, through the back gate, and then just drop them in that dirt hole there. Maud Minerva stood in the penthouse of the Minerva Tower, blue lotus drops circulating in her veins, keeping the blackworm parasite subdued. She was drinking in the ostentatious figure of her grandmother, Miriam Minerva, unknown to her her entire life. Her mother's stories were that Miriam had moved to the city when the girls were young, after her Aunt Mercy had passed away from consumption. Miriam had gone to the city and left the girls in the country house to send for them, and then was never spoken of again. The family story became just about the growth of the business, Minerva's solutions, and that Millie Minerva, her aunt, had taken charge of the family's survival. 
Miriam was rarely ever mentioned. But now here, staring beyond the heavy eye makeup, the cigarette smoke, and the long feathers swaying from her headband, it was difficult to take in the room. Her grandmother and the great lies she'd been told with a clear head, let alone filled with diluted blue lotus. Maud looked at her mother, but she wasn't making eye contact. Miriam approached her, cupped Maud's cheeks in her hands, her face stretched in adulation. Maud, darling, look at this beautiful creature. You are simply divine. Come to Miriam. Mwah, mwah. Oh, you precious thing, look at those sleepy eyes, with that thing swimming around in your guts. Have a seat, Maddie. Maud, you want some treats? You like sugar or cigarettes? Man. Listen, little crumpet. Today's a big day. You're in the family, of course. You always were, but you've come up the floor. And now you can see how the sausage is really made. After your ordeal and those traumatic events with the Fulcrum girl and the dirty Duncans, well, it's as grown up as you'll ever be. No more bedtime stories to gloss over the past. Time for you to meet Grandma and know the family truth. Did your mama tell you this story? Did she tell you about her Miriam, hmm? We had such hard times in the country, but my girls, they're so very clever, and they sold enough to buy their own tickets to the city and find their Mima. They missed me so very badly, and here we all are. Clever girls have all built the empire that you stand above now. And you, Maud, you're the very next generation of the great legacy of women. Someday you will lead Minerva's, and it's so very important that you learn the ins and outs of the trade. You had your little fun of the stalling for the day, but I felt it fit to make you a junior executive. You represent the youth as we launch new lines of solutions. Maddie doesn't like this. Oh, don't worry, the hard work has yet to come. Up on this floor, you're more thinker than doer. But I thought Aunt Millie... Ha! Of course! She works very, very hard. She does. But I've always been the brains of the operation. Ever since she lost Mercy, I've had to keep this family together. Maud shared a glance with her mother. That was not quite the story as Maud knew it. But noticing the timid nature of her mother Maddie, she took her cue to stay quiet and go along with it. Miriam sauntered to the window and pushed the curtain all the way open, exposing the bottom of a floating airship, like some giant placid sea creature bobbing slightly outside the window, as if it would break through the glass and eat everyone. Maud jumped with a start. The airship rose just enough to expose a styled gondola as mooring ropes tightened and cinched the ship to the building. Don't worry, child. This is our transportation. Well, have a good I view the exposition. You want to see the corpse flower bloom from high above? We'll have some supper and recline above the city. The gondola extended a gangplank connected to the landing outside of Miriam's apartment and opened to a main door, to a carriage car with wraparound windows, not unlike that of an elegant train, and within what looked like velvet cushions on a wraparound couch. The airship shifted slightly in its mooring at the building side. Miriam wandered over to the treats, 
dipped her finger into the water bowl and tasted it. Maddie, what beverages does the child desire? Hmm? Shall we pack a shrub and some seltzer for the trip or some warm milk with blue drops? Isn't that what the creature likes? Tea is fine. We both like tea. Millie will no doubt be here at the last moment, step on board with a stack of papers in her case, and never look up once. What's the point of having all of this if we can't enjoy a little? Maud moved away from both of them, needed to find a quieter space near the corner of the window, a space to think for a moment, collect her senses, away from the airship a little, as it was large and intimidating and the shift of it was making her a bit ill. She didn't know what to make of it. Why was she just meeting her grandmother now? She was living just below her for years, and she didn't want anything to do with Maud. Maud heard a strange sound coming from outside the window, figured it was something from the airship dripping on the thick panes of glass. But a small, grubby hand attached itself to the outside of the glass, and then another, and then a foot, and then another, and then a silly, dumb boy face with a fading black eye. Shiner. Maud almost yelled, but then muffled it. She whispered. Shider, what are you doing out there? She looked below him, but there was no rope or harness. Just the side of the building and his grubby hands and feet stuck to the window. Maud! He shouted through the glass, taking one of his hands away and waving it at her. Maud moved to block the view and pointed to the corner near the blinds. I'm going out for some air. Hold on to the railing. Maud opened the door. Shiner, what are you... How are you out... Oh, gee, it's the river muck. I have a pocketful. If you smear it on your hands, you can stick to anything. I thought I'd come up to see you, make sure you was okay. Teddy scolded me not to come up here, but... Uh, oh, well, well, shucks, Maud. I, I just wanted to make sure you weren't crossing me for making you get all caught up at all this. Did they get the worm out of you? Maud patted her stomach and shook her head no. Oh... Old Maul Dyer chanted the one out of me. Hurt like something, I'll tell you. You want to get away? Will you drink lemonades? Elnor, the nightshade, gives them to me for nothing. Shiner, you have to get out of here. We are supposed to go on this thing over the expo. If they see you, they might arrest you. Oh, the needles won't mess with me none. Shiner. Oh, geez, you know, I was just so busy figuring out how to get up here. I can't really think about how to get back down. Ma, darling, it's time to board. Let's all aboard the airship. What should we moniker it? The big M? Maddie, you're the creative one. Miriam and Maddie were followed by a mixologist carrying a basket of refreshments and rolling a bar cart aboard. They settled into the lounge. A heavy curtain split the gondola, drawn between them in the airship control room on the other side. Maud looked back and Shiner was gone. Just two muddy handprints on the window. She turned and boarded the airship. The citizens of Selene flowed through the gates of Lanula Park and down the windy paths shoveled out of freshly dusted winter snow, past the thematic ice sculptures and string bulb lights into the impressive glass structure, the Winter Palace, glimmering in the cold light just above the frozen black Parvum Pond. The grand exposition was an attempt to suture the rifts of the city and focus on the aspirations and creations of the gifted populace. Showcases of art, industry, and sciences, the very best Selene had to offer. The greatest artists of Selene had contributed to decorate the palace with sculptures and paintings that dotted every walkway and corner of the exhibits, 
The artisanal treasures gallery held a quiet corner where people solemnly examined serious portraits and other works as white-gloved attendants showed relics and opened old tomes from the library archives of the city. Somewhat questionably, the vaudeville hall, just next door, had a replicant stage of the Palace Theater and a constant rotation of acts from the best of Theater Row, from highbrow opera to low, foot-kicking pub songs and sloshing beer smuggled in from the refreshment court. The machine hall was made of stations that showcased the work of the barons, Edmund Green's new looms that connected to a kaleidoscope of colors of threads, and where the few switches produced vibrant rugs of different patterns without so much as a person's touch. Cesarin Fulcrum had mining tools and a makeshift salt cave where patrons could chip off a small bit of pink salt as a souvenir. The walkers did not feature the lie machinery. Viola Walker had sponsored the History of Selene exhibit, featuring revised kinetoscopes and a larger version of the exhibit that lived at the seaside. Mizra Kovach, the spirits baron, created a section of fruit gardens with warm pools for people to dip their feet while they relaxed and sip cordials. Brianna Bridewell contributed to the expo by having her uniformed reform house children volunteer as custodians and attendants, ever helpful and polite as they washed the glass and swept the refuse from the floors. Dr. Vega's liquid light labs and Desmond's mechanisms were positioned on either side of the palace as a diplomatic negotiation. Desmond's was in the machine hall that showed off the advanced use of gears and pulleys and kinetic force, rotating two train engines on pedestals like feathers as the heavy tonnage swooped around each other silently. Dr. Vega's had light sculptures and wireless devices, a glowing fashion show and a connected feature that showed its green lights bathing the botanical gardens for increased growth and vigor. The Botanical Gardens, a comprehensive exhibit where Lillian Singh stretched out the very limits of her talents and decided to make it an almost rude gesture in defiance of the winter weather, encapsulated in a hothouse with special glass and different climates to support the variant strata of flora population. Lillian spent all year growing and shaping delicate tiny flowers and rigid vines stronger than iron. Heavy rain leaves, sweet fruits, prickly thorns, and a bevy of birds and butterflies to complete the serene gardens dedicated to meditation and introspection. The centerpiece of the gardens was the massive corpse flower. The height of nine men, like a tall, shy, regal empress wrapped in a dark cloak. The anticipation was palpable as the bloom was impending at the height of the expo. This evening, it was to reveal itself. At various intervals, a green gas would fill the corpse flower surroundings, pumped into the habitat from tubes that led out from Lil's tool shed, where Lillian Singh, head of the Botanical Society, was having a conversation with her favorite new companion, Temperance Fulcrum. I could pinch myself. I still can't believe it's real. Maybe it's the lack of sleep, but she is the most beautiful thing I have ever birthed. Not to play favorites. I, of course, love all of my children. It is such an honor to share her with the rest of Celine. She's so hungry, though. It takes nine men to feed her. I fear we cannot keep up this pace. Temperance remembered the dinner conversation, but could sworn Lillian had said eight men? She's pretty, but that smell... What you are smelling is isovaleric acid. It's where she gets her name. The corpse flower releases the smell of rotting flesh to attract carrion beetles or other pollinators. We release the bring gas to subdue the smell or else it would overwhelm the entire exposition. Probably it's the entire city. If the acid were to aerosol into the wind, it is so potent it would disable and possibly kill everyone. So we used to bring gas. That's our little secret. 
but we must be careful as the gas is deadly to humans. I spoke about the wasp and obligate neutralism. We created her, the corpse flower, but Dr. Vega's rays have made her very, very hungry. So hungry, we must provide constant nutrients. She relies on us for food, and I rely on her for my survival. Your survival? Yes. I have been working with your friend Macy Myers on an antidote, the Blue Lotus Flower Intoxicant. It is very difficult to fight addiction of that order. Late one night, I tested a serum on myself, and I overdosed. Temperance saw a small green tentacle grow out of the floor from the bottom of the corpse flower, and was pushing through the glass of the shed. One of the little tentacles had climbed up Lillian's pant leg, up around her leg, through her clothing and was wrapped around her arm up to her wrist, curled around Lillian's fingers. As she was talking, something in her eyes changed. The quartz flower reached out to me, sensing its food source was in danger. She popped me full of a counter that revived me. Now we keep each other very much alive. I provide her with sustenance, and she keeps the serum from overwhelming my system and poisoning my blood. Temperance watched as two ruddy men pulled a cart through the gate and to the top of the dirt mound behind the corpse flower, hidden from view. They tilted the cart, and two bodies tumbled out and into a hole in the dirt. Feeding the flower? Buying men to feed her? Lillian? Temperance, I do everything I can to help the good people of Serene. I make many medicines. I help Needle Street with countless toxicology mysteries. I create fertilizer and water filtration and sewer sanitation bleaches. Would you throw all of that away from a little accident? We feed some criminals or lost souls who have passed to a hungry flower? Sometimes, temperance, you have to make some hard decisions. Not every decision has an easy answer. Ah, look. She is blooming. It has begun. She will open and spread her loveliness across the city. Wait, Lillian. Someone is alive in there. One of those women is alive. She's trying to escape the habitat. Lillian? Lillian, Lillian, what about the, the gas? High above them, in the Minerva airship, Maud pushed against the glass to look down on the Winter Palace as the corpse flower bloomed. The airship had lowered as close to the ground as they could as the flower opened. Her mother, Maddie, had a worried look on her face and kept glancing at the curtain that ran half the gondola. Her Aunt Millie had her nose buried in a ledger, deep in accounting concentration, and only mildly aware on what was going on around her. Miriam Minerva stood, set down her gin, and straightened her dress. Maud, now Maud, I need your attention. I need to show you something. Miriam reached up and drew back the curtain, showing the rest of the curve of the wraparound windows and revealing the other half of the gondola carriage. first thing Maud noticed was a small bellows cranking away at the floor, pumping air into the face of a decrepit figure in a padded and suspended chair. The despair of an emaciated woman with silver streaks in her hair looked flatly out the window with little emotion in her eyes. Her skin was thin like translucent paper, small lines of blue and red under the surface. She didn't move other than a slight rise in her chest as the bellows pushed another hoist of air into her lungs. Wires ran from around her scalp out to other lightly clacking machinery. Maud, this is your aunt Mercy. I know you thought she passed, but she didn't. 
He's been quiet for a very, very long time. She's my sweet, but she doesn't say much. She's the very spirit of the solutions. The machinery clicked and clacked to life. A small shiver in Mercy's body. The wire is sending the ticker tape machine into action, typing out the words, Winter, Wonder, Wellington's, Solution. Further down the thin paper roll, spilling onto the floor into a glass bowl, were little sheets of the paper tape with type words on it. Slippery snowball snapper solution. Frozen flipping flapjack solution. Spirit slush sipper solution. Countless little type ideas filling the bowl. Don't get too close, Maud. Mercy has a smell for shame and will pull it right out of you whether you like it or not. She pulled mine out of me some time ago. Took time for it all to drain out. But look at me today, positively shameless and enjoying any and all sense of my life. Maud tried to step forward to get a better look at the papers. They were all new ideas. You see how it works now? Mercy dreams up the solutions based on people's needs. Your mother takes the tape, dreams them up. Your Aunt Millie handles the operations. Keeps it all running smoothly. I supervise. Millie looked up just long enough at the mention of her name, and Maddie had a very sad look in her eyes, as if she felt very bad about exposing Maud to all of this. She hated lying. You see, Maud, I wanted you here today to see this. We used to put people of different stripe into the same room as Mercy, and she would dream up a host of ideas based on their shame. The machinery in this airship will connect Mercy to the entire city. To secure your stake and solutions, I wanted you to do the honors. Take this golden key and place it into the machinery there and turn it. Your Aunt Mercy will be listening to all of Thleen. At this, Mercy's eyes moved ever so slightly and connected with Maud's glance. Maud took the golden key, laced with some kind of special pattern that fit into the mechanism. She held it in her hand. It was large and magical, like something from a storybook that opened the portal to a fantasy world or the gate to some great hidden treasure. There was more here than Maud could understand, especially in her drug state. She was pliable, and rather than fighting the situation, felt she could sort it out later, but wanted to make her family happy. She looked at her mom, and although worried seemed encouraging, Maud hesitated only to ask one single question. Is this what Aunt Marcy wants? Miriam Minerva tried to suppress her annoyance, but before she could answer, skittering up from the catwalks below, the newsboy Shiner, who had been hanging like a tiny sloth clinging to the airship scaffold, clambered up and around, shot into the gondola, and leapt over Maud before anyone knew he was even in the room. He snatched the golden key from Maud's hand, spackling her with river mud, and then flicked out the door and back over the railing as he shouted, Maud, come on! 
He looped a mooring rope around his wrist and kicked the roll over the side so it dangled to within meters of the roof of the palace. As the corpse flower bloomed and the airship drifted dangerously close to fireworks. Shiner, what are you doing? I don't know. He replied as he dangled. I don't ever reckon about it too hard. Miriam's veneer shifted, vicious and furious. A, a Duncan, Duncan spy. spy! Get the Get little the grubby little boy, boy, she screamed. Far below them at the base of the corpse flower, Charity Suter watched the bloom as a new spray of green gas filled the enclosure. Oh, that smell. Meanwhile, Edmund Green had finished his textile demonstration and wandered over to the gardens to watch the bloom. Isn't that magnificent? Charity? Are you part of the exhibit? How did you get in there? Did you volunteer? What happened to you last night? How did you get behind that glass case? Well, now it's filling up with green gas. I can't see a thing. What would you do that for? Oh, wait, you're trying to communicate. All right. Perhaps if you wrote with a stick. They're in the dirt. Yes, capital. Oh, no, never mind with your hands. Forming letters. Like a parlor game. Excellent. I see. Uh, okay, H. Yes, H. Three. Oh, E, E. L. Charity, what's next? H, E, L. What? Help. Ah, I see. Oh, help. Hold on, Charity. I'm coming. You don't haul 17 tons of finely woven rugs annually for a living and not get a strong sense of... I'll grab one of these brass turnstiles and I'll just unhook this velveteen rope and... Oh, that's not bad. Really soft. That's a great weave. Oh, drat. Here, I'll just take my leg. Just a moment. Look away. Charity, get away from the glass. Edmund crashed through the glass with this fake leg, pushed through the shard, shredding his coat, and pulled Charity through the hole. An attendant rushed to the hole with some canvas to plug up the green gas as the corpse flower bloomed above them. The large petals ever so slowly pulled apart like swooping arms revealing the large, inflorescent spatics towering above the crowd in hushed gasps. Charity, are you in good health? That is to say... I'm fine, Edmunds. How are you? That glass has shredded this fine coat. But never mind that. I meant to find you last night. I've been thinking a good deal. That is to say... Charity, I'm on bended knee here. Oh, yes, Edmund. Your leg is off. Yes, well, I'm down here and I had a little something for you. Miss Charity Suter, there has not been a day I've not thought of you. The halls of my heart have been as empty as Mulberry. I let jealousy and age-old sibling rivalry get the best of me, and I lost sight of the very serious fact that I love you. Will you do me the honor and the great pleasure of being my lifelong companion? That, that is to say, will you, Charity Suter, the most beautiful and charming woman in all of Celine, with your wit and poetry, be my wife? And give this old damn fool just one more chance. Oh, Edmund. You're bleeding. 
Needle Street. No, madam. No, madam. Chief Inspector Stroud is in with the fresh recruits in orientation. May I pass on your message? Very well. You can have another go tomorrow. Oh, blimey. You look like you've been ravaged by wolves. <clears throat> Jane Gatsby. I believe I have an appointment. in the attic? Ingested a parasite? Looking for a Lenny Penny? Come bask in the emerald green glow of a strange city lying alone. Join our Patreon for Selena Cleverland, and Minerva might just let you pick her next solution. Join our Patreon, and no one will ever ask you for anything ever again. And again, 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 and again.